What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Trigger warning. This episode will deal with violent crime, crimes against children, sexual assault, and violent criminals. Discretion is advised. listening to the international hit show the baby names podcast and here are your hosts the moss sisters i'm jennifer moss and i'm mallory moss and we're the founders of babynames.com and we are sisters too we are now our first segment is always cool names we found since the last episode and i will go first this is not a name but a rather a strange trend that's been blowing up in 2023, and that is choosing super wacky dictionary words as names or a normal dictionary word name and spelling it differently. Mm. So some I've heard and verified are cutlery. What? Twin Carver, like cutlery and Carver. I know. Ugh. Aardvark. Like Aaron Aardvark. <laughs> windstorm, which is not that bad. I like wind and storm is okay, but windstorm together is kind of kooky. Denial, D-A-N-Y-L-E. What? So I don't like that because it sounds like denial. Uh, gorgeous, spelled G-O-U-R-J-U-S-S, gorgeous, which is Obviously, an expectation name that's not fair to put on your child. That's just to name a few. The tip of the iceberg. What is happening? Am I in like bizarro world? <laughs> I think it's because people tend to want unique names that no one else has. Yeah. However, these are definitely a little unusual. <laughs> if you are looking for unique names, though, check out our unique baby names and you can see rare names, but names that are actually used and not made up or taken from the dictionary not that there's anything wrong with that because every name was made up initially right true true <laughs> okay so for me yadira y-a-d-i-r-a it is an arabic name meaning worthy or suitable it's an interesting definition i think it's perhaps a matchmaking name such as a Worthy or suitable match. Ah. However, the Yadera that I know is very strong and independent. Cool. Okay. Today's topic is names and true crime. <laughs> and we have a special guest today who's joined us on previous episodes. And those previous episodes have been fan favorites. We're so excited to have her back on the show with us. Professor I.M. Nick is a sociolinguist with a specialization in forensic onomastics and investigative psychology. She's the president of the Germanic Society for Forensic Linguistics and editor-in-chief of NAMES, the scientific journal of the American Names Society. Dr. Nick joined us for our episode number 72, 
Jewish Names in the Holocaust, as well as episode 92, Names and Prejudice. So if you've not yet listened to those, I highly recommend you go back and do so. We are so honored to have her back today for Names and True Crime. Welcome, Dr. Nick. We are so happy to have you here. It's my pleasure. So let's start with forensic linguistics and forensic onomastics. Mm -hmm. Can you define those terms? So um, forensic linguistics, and I'm glad we're starting here because a lot of people have never heard of this before. Um, forensic linguistics is a field, a subdivision of linguistics that involves using linguistic analysis of either written text or spoken text to provide forensic evidence in crime investigation. So, for example, the kinds of texts that we might look at would be um, if someone has been kidnapped and, and there is a text or extortion, threatening, hate mail. Um, my own personal area is suicide letter analysis. Um, there are other people who, when they work with spoken text, would be principally involved in doing a phonological analysis of the voice that you hear. Increasingly, we're having victims, for example, in the middle of a crime who are able to audio record what's going on. So we have instances, for example, of a woman being attacked while she's jogging and she's just able to get to her smartphone. And we have an actual recording of the offense. So someone who's working in that area would be able to separate the voices um, give you a solid analysis of the offender's voice, um, assuming that it's a good quality recording, which very often it is these days with the kinds of devices that we have available. So they can tell you things about the probable age of that person, um, maybe the region or the nation that that person came from. Um, sometimes you can even uh, hear factors like their condition of health. We all know um, that those kinds of things like smoking, for example, can, can affect the sound of your voice. Um, if the person has a particular dialect, um, that might be interesting in trying to catch the offender. So what we try to do is provide evidence that will help to narrow down the suspects. It's not like you see on television where we say, okay, we know it's this person and there's their address. Right. Um, we're, we're not able to do that. And it certainly doesn't happen within 30 minutes. <laughs> right. Isn't this, though, how they caught the Unabomber because of the manifesto and the language used in that? Exactly. Um, the way that he had uh, written his manifesto reminded first his family members who then alerted law enforcement. This sounds like my brother or brother-in-law. Mm -hmm. It was certain it was not just the topics that he was speaking about, that it was also terms of phrases that he was using. So fascinating. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of, of fantastic work that's being done in this area. And my particular interest, aside from suicide letter analysis, is looking at forensic onomastics, which is where we um, analyze names and how names are used in order to provide um, evidence, for example, for law enforcement. 
That's so interesting. I know there's so much to dive into here. I know. I know. I was thinking we're going to have probably like four sessions on this. <laughs> so how do criminals use names in nonviolent crimes? Um, you know, one of the ways that they do this that you probably are aware of without being aware that you're aware of it is the very simple unfortunately very high frequency crime of identity theft where someone um, is able to access your personal data very often including your name and not only your birth name but it can also be your username um, just to expand um, the the different areas that a nonomestician would work in so they get off unauthorized uh, use of your name and then usually what they then do is used as a, as a stepping stone to commit another crime. For example, um, gaining access to your financial accounts or your credit card. We've also had cases where people have taken over identity and, and signed contracts in your name using an unauthorized um, use of your name. Um, so I think people are not really sensitive to how big of a problem yeah. this is. But organized criminals in the dark net are selling rosters of authentic people's names for relatively little money. But they're getting, you know, tens of thousands, millions of names, real people's names and also their usernames and using them for nefarious purposes. And within the United States alone, according to our, our Bureau of Justice, for 2021, that kind of crime resulted in 24 million people having their identity being stolen. Oh, my god! Well, I mean, we so freely offer up this information on social media. Exactly. And it's like I have been telling people forever and stop posting your names, your family, your children's names. And, you know, everybody oh, poo poos that. And it's like, oh, but I want everybody to know, you know. Yeah, and that's the problem is that, you know, that's the way that crime works when it's an opportunity crime is we assume, well, no one's going to target me or I don't really have that much money. So why would someone do that? Um, you know, it's not always going to be high, high fan finance for these kinds of crimes. Sometimes it's just ordering a few things on Amazon mm -hmm. um, that can make the difference. But if you do that like 20, 30 times a month that can be quite profitable for the for the criminal and uh in the united states in 2021 um 16.4 billion us dollars mm, wow. was lost through identity fraud and the average amount of money that people um are defrauded average is 880 dollars and if you you know for a lot of people that's making that's a lot of money it is absolutely and it's not just adults it also happens to children and i wanted to actually give you an example of how how easily this can happen sometimes when when criminals get name lists that they buy through the dark net um they don't get your full name so for example you might only use j moss so we've only been able to get j period moss so based on that you suddenly get a telephone call. The person isn't really sure what your first name is. And they say something like, good morning, is this John Moss? Right, right. And you automatically say, no, it's Jennifer. Okay, so now they've clarified what's your first name and what's your last name. 
And then the very next sentence a criminal might use is, oh, I'm sorry, I just, I misread my emergency notes here. There's so much going on. There's so much chaos with all of the ambulances. Yeah. <laughs> now immediately they've got your attention. Right. So this is social engineering, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And it's getting more sophisticated now with um, artificial intelligence. Right. And I mean, I heard that social engineering was actually the downfall of the whole MGM breach, mm. that it, it wasn't some genius technical hacking breach. It was somebody who called in and pretended to be an employee. And, and I know more and more hackers will study websites and employee rosters and to impersonate somebody to somebody else within the organization. Absolutely. Happens all the time. You know, there's a there's a huge scam that's going on here in Europe, and I see that it's also going on in, in the United States, the grandparent scam. Right. And, you know, it's very interesting from an onomastic point of view how these kinds of scams are being run because they're not simply getting the criminals lists of names, but they're also doing name analysis to figure out what are the people who in all probability are elderly. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is look at the names because names tend to go by generation. Yeah, yeah. So if you see someone's name on a list, and this is a list of women's names, and the woman's name is Madison, your guess is probably this is going to be a younger person mm-hmm. and someone who has the name maybe Susan or Nancy or Sandra. So these criminals are doing their own kind of onomastic analysis in order to figure out who their target victims are. And it's particularly disturbing when you're dealing with people who are being targeted because of their vulnerability. I mean, I think about this every time I see parents who drive down the street very proudly with um, a sticker on their car that says, um, Jonathan and Emily are in this car. Right. Mm. Now, picture a criminal, a sexual offender for children who sees that sticker, waits for you to drop your children off at school then goes up to one of your children and says, Emily, hi, your mom sent me here today. She's not going to be able to pick you up because she's had an accident and you really need to get into the car with me now so that we can go and help her. Yeah, absolutely. And same with putting their names on their backpacks, on their clothing. Exactly. Anything that's easily seen by looking at them too. And they do look. Right. And they do look. Unfortunately. How scary. All right. Well, you know, names are used. We've talked about identity theft, financial crimes. Now, how do criminals use names in violent crimes? I guess you just talked about sexual offenders and kidnapping. If we're dealing with adults, this is one of the reasons why women tend to hide their name. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, as as I said, you might want to use Jay Moss instead of Jennifer Moss, but very quickly, um, victims... In an automatic response, very often provide the information that the offender is looking for right. simply by giving you. The- right. I mean, we used to do that on our mailboxes, oh, but yeah. it's, it was only single women that put their first initials. Exactly. So, you know, the criminal knows that. So you weren't hiding anything. Um, but, you know, it also happens when I was just mentioning that in terms of, of grooming children. One of the things that I think is really shocking that I don't think that parents are aware of is how quickly grooming happens. 
most parents have in their mind, um, this is going to be someone who's staying around my kid a lot and hanging around the house. And, you know, maybe it's even someone that I know. That's very true. There are some pedophiles who do that. But there are also other sexual offenders who prey on children who almost have like um, a blitz attack, which means that they go after children rapidly and they establish relationships with those children almost instantaneously. And one of the ways that they do that is by using their name. We know from psychological research that we tend to like people who know our name and who use our name often. Um, salespeople very often use that technique when they're trying to get you to buy something. So they'll, re they'll repeatedly say your name and you, you feel, this person likes me, they're saying my name. But people who prey on children do exactly the same thing. All they need to do is go online and find out your kid's name and then start using your child's name and then start using nicknames for your child. And that very quickly, I've seen it happen within two or three turns of a, a conversation online, starts turning into, you know, we have a special relationship right. and um, you know, I like to see what you look like because I just can't even picture it. And could you maybe send me a photo? And already it's happening in the third and fourth line. You know, there's a television show called Undercover Underage, and it's on Max. If anyone has Max, I recommend that you watch it immediately, especially if you have children, because it shows this process. They do have undercover adults that are like 18 to 22 that pose, look very young. They hire them specifically to look young. So you see this interaction not only over text, but over video. And it's just such an eye-opener. It's, it's very disturbing. Right. But I think that's one of the reasons why programs like yours are so important because we need to have an mm. informed public. Absolutely. It's not simply children, but I think that we have obviously a moral responsibility to protect the most vulnerable in our societies. And these same kinds of techniques that we see um, with predation with children, we see with adults. And the same kind of shame of people saying, oh, I don't want to tell anybody I was so stupid and I gave him my name or mm -hmm. I thought he was really nice because he was mm -hmm. using all of these nicknames for me. and thought we had a special relationship. Criminals very rarely feel guilty. Victims almost always do. And we need to flip that around. Now you talked about usernames and I used to do a lot when I was dating, you know, I used to do a lot of my own investigative work mm -hmm. and a lot of people use the same usernames across the web. Like they use the same passwords, unfortunately. And that was a really quick way to find somebody out. Yeah. And like, for example, there was one guy who was presenting himself as a police officer and I was like, yeah, okay, right. I actually, within about 10 minutes, through his username and the way he talked about his hobbies, found out his full name, found out he was a police officer, and found out his address and everything I needed to know about him, even his dog's name. And to talk about passwords, a lot of people use names in their passwords. Yes, absolutely. And hacking. So you have to stop thinking about your immediate family and your pets and your friends and your street names and stop using those in your passwords as well. Yeah, definitely. We have to put the advice out there. 
And we have to give them examples of why it is so dangerous when you don't. It's I know that people say, oh, this is so inconvenient and I'm going to forget and right, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not more inconvenient than becoming a target of a, of a criminal offender. Exactly. So the most the most vulnerable are definitely children, elderly and lonely adults as well. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So they can um, fall prey to, you know, the honeypot scams and all that. Mm. So speaking of violent criminals, I believe that I heard you say once that there's usually a pattern when a criminal chooses a pseudonym or a false name. Was I correct in remembering that? <laughs> can you talk about that? I no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I misheard that. <laughs> no, you didn't mishear it, but I can't talk about it. Oh, you can't talk about it. That makes sense. It does make sense. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to give any violent criminals any ideas. No. Right? But that's no. fascinating, too. And that leads into Mallory's question, her perpetual question of why are, like, serial killers always referred to by all three of their names? Oh, that's interesting. And I thought it was because um, so the general public wouldn't confuse them with the guy next door with the same name, like to give as much identity information as possible. I think it depends on the actual serial killer, because I think that there are an awful lot of serial killers where that's not the case, like Ted Bundy. Mm. Oh, that's true. Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson. um, But then you have someone like John Wayne Gacy. So... It's more likely that um, when it's reported in the news that what they're reporting is the name that that person uses. And there are certain periods where using all three of your names is more popular than just using your first name and your last name. But what I what I find interesting is why there are people like Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy, Harold Shipman. We know them so well by their personal names that you can simply say Bundy today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everybody knows who you're talking about or you can say Dahmer right and everybody knows who you're talking about but then there are other serial killers out there like BTK or the Night Stalker mm-hmm. or Son of Sam and people are not so aware of what their personal names are so the Night Stalker mm-hmm. was actually um we finally found out Richard Ramirez but if I said that name most people would think oh I know, the name sounds familiar I'm not But I think the variable is in terms of whether or not we use that person's uh, authentic birth name or we use a pseudonym that's given to that person is, one, did they use their names in committing their crimes? Mm, So Mm -hmm. for BTK, the way that person's pseudonym came about was this person named himself in the taunting letters that he sent to the police. Well, same with Jack the Ripper. Exactly. Or with Son of Sam, Uh, he signed his letters Son of Sam. He also signed the Mr. Murder, but people were more interested in Son of Sam. The Zodiac Killer is another example. And of course, the press will pick up on this because it draws readers in if you can give it a villainous identity, right? Yeah. And, you know, there are some people, there are some serial killers who name themselves like BTK, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill which is disturbing but it's also important from an investigative point of view because the names that you give yourself we see this for people who are who are not offenders the name the names the nicknames that you give yourself or that are used by you in your private life 
say something about you. So there's analysis that we can do of the names that the particular offender has used him or herself. But with newspapers, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's very helpful when we have a serial offender who is Mm -hmm. active and the press gives that person a name that becomes very um, high frequency in popular parlance. The positive thing about that is it may make people more sensitive to and aware of their surroundings Mm, to help them in terms of protecting themselves, but also in in terms of gathering evidence. Um, They might be more apt to notice things or to call the police if they notice something that's that's unusual. So that's positive. What's what's negative is the names themselves can become for offenders a bit of a competition you know i need to how many people do i need to kill in order to get my name pseudonym in the press mm-hmm. how bad does it have to be and unfortunately you can see this in the united states with how many mass shootings we have right how mm-hmm. many people do you have to kill in order to get into the press, in order to get to, in order to make a name for myself, right? And sadly, of course, that's just rising. Exactly. I've often thought that if they just stop publishing the names of these shooters, especially the younger ones, it would remove that payoff of the notoriety that they're seeking so desperately. Well, this is why I said it's a double-edged sword, um, because ultimately, these people are not primarily motivated by wanting to get their name in the press, right? But if you're going to be a violent offender, then this is a way for them to get notoriety. But some of the most prolific serial killers that we have, um, for example, Samuel Little, who we believe killed 93 women, which is more than we're suspecting for Ted Bundy. He was an African-American male who, towards the end of his life, started to confess to all of the crimes that he had committed And he kind of became more notorious um, as a serial killer, not just because of the outrageous number of women that he slayed, but also the fact that he remembered, he has a photographic memory. He remembered all the details of each and every crime, each and every victim, and he was able to draw um, pictures that were so good that the police could identify missing persons. So, and you know, most people don't know his name. He wasn't driven by wanting to see his name in print. So, as I said, it's a double-edged sword. You know, think about the this um, the uh, Long Island killer. Um, the press at the time they were having a field day trying to come up with the catchiest name for him. So, I'll know that his name is Rex Hoyerman. But during his spree, he was called the Gilgo Beach Killer, the Gilgo Beach Slayer, Long Island Killer, Long Island Ripper, Burlack Sacker, because he put many of his victims, um, the bodies in burlap sacks, a seashore serial killer. And we can all say, oh, this is just gruesome. But if you're looking to buy a house, the la- neighborhood you're looking at is Gilgo, and you're mm-hmm. a single woman living alone with your child, maybe that's a neighborhood you're not going to go to. Or Craigslist, the Craigslist killer. It was negative for the product, but we all will think about that when we release our personal information. 
So what is name-based violence? I'm glad you asked about that, actually. Name-based violence is when people commit violence against an individual or a group, and they are motivated by the name that that individual or group carries and Mm. the hatred that they have towards that group. Mm, Exactly. Timely. Really timely. And it's unfortunately, it never stops being timely. I mean, we, there are so many different examples of name-based violence, but if you are, for example, looking for someone who belongs to a religious group that you hate, you may well target someone who has a name that you strongly associate with that group, assuming that that person is going to be a part of that group. And it's also ways that some of these offenders will communicate to other potential offenders, like on the internet, putting parentheses around a name. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The the Twitter, you know, meme of putting parentheses, multiple parentheses around a name was to target you as a Jew. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, well, it is. It is really everywhere. Um, so we see that, you know, we saw it also, for example, during COVID where we saw people who were Asian American and people were targeting them because they saw their name and they assumed that they were Asian. And then all of these negative associations that that were made erroneously with COVID, um, they were being targeted left, right and center. Now we're aware of this when it has to do with gender, as, as we all talked about women, we're, we're very used to, to hiding our names or being protective of our names. But this can happen with any minority group. Names themselves can also be weapons. I mention this because, and you've talked about this before, but I think it's it's always important to stress, names can be weapons and they can do incredible harm. One group that I've been working with that I have just, I've just been heartbroken with this is people with the name Karen. It just breaks my heart to see an entire group of people who happen to have a beautiful name, actually, that has become so associated with racism and intolerance um, that they themselves have become the repeated target of violent crime. I don't think that people are aware of how extreme it has become. There are women who are regularly getting death threats just because of their name because of the negative associations that people have with this name i have heard that one of the most popular halloween costumes this year is going to be dressing your kid up as quote a karen people say oh that's so funny and i say really is it would it be funny if we dressed up children and called them sambo right yitzhak Mm -hmm. or diego Well, kind of um, adjacent to this also are um, names that take a negative turn because they're associated with a violent or terrorist organization such as ISIS or Odin. Yeah. Mythological names have become a little more popular because of Thor and the whole Marvel situation. And they were considering Odin. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Odin is a a dog whistle and a trigger for 
white supremacy groups. And they're, oh, you're being silly. And no, it's not just because they're not aware of it. But I think you also have to be aware that there are some names that are going to have these connotations to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the questions, and I'm sure you get this all the time. I know I get this, is what can I name my child because I want to give them a safe name. And what I always say is, there is no such thing as a safe name. You never know what's going to what, happen. Right. You never know what the name of the next offender is going to be. Right. But the the thing that we can do is to call out name prejudice and to not tolerate it and to not say, well, it's OK if I do it because I think it's funny or I'm enjoying it is to understand that if it comes at the price of doing harm, then it is inappropriate and unacceptable, period. And the other one we get a lot is um, Aryan. And Mm. um, when I push back on that, Mm. either in groups or personally, if somebody asks me about it, they say, oh, but it's such a common name in India, Aryan. And I'm like, yes, and... (laughs) It is highly offensive here in the United States. I don't know about other countries, but here in the United States to the Jewish population, naming your chi- naming your white child Aryan mm-hmm. is not cool. We get so much kickback on that. But we seem to be coming into a period where people have begun to say, as long as I'm enjoying it, it's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that, to me, is, is deeply, deeply unsettling. Very scary. Mm-hmm. It is because what it does is it, it speaks a level of empathy that we mm-hmm. seem to be losing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I my question is when people say things like that is I find it fascinating that you can continue to enjoy something that you know is causing other people pain. Right. That's a good answer. That's what a sadist would say. You're just being hypersensitive because the priority is me. Right, right. And not the child even. And not the child. You know, our first thing we say to parents when they say, what is your advice about baby naming? The first thing I say to the press and to parents is think of the name from the perspective of the child, not from you. Mm -hmm. You think it's cute. You think it's funny. But how is that child going to live with it the rest of their lives? Absolutely. And I think it's a mistake that that parents often make with their children is they mistake their own needs for those of their child. Mm -hmm. My response would be if someone says, oh, I just love this name and it's so cute. I'm like, well, you know what? You're an adult. You're living in the United States. It's incredibly easy to change your name. You take it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I tell them to go use it at the coffee shop. Right. Exactly. I want to see you go and use that name. Introduce yourself as that. Yeah, you go use it and you see if be you like it. Pixie Trixabel or whatever. <laughs> Can I, you know, there's just one other point I wanted to make, if possible. Mm-hmm. It's about people who have no name. And I, I want to mention it within this context because, um, especially what we're seeing going on right now, there are so many victims that we do not have the names for. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are several organizations that have devoted their resources, their time, their passion, their energy to making sure that victims have a name. 
law enforcement has traditionally done this and the and the legal system has traditionally done this if we have a victim we find their their remains there is something in our human community that wants to give that name back to that person and if we don't know who they are that impulse is so strong that we name them John Doe or Jane Doe mm. and we have been doing this since the 16th century in English-speaking countries, wow. um, John Doe and Jane Doe. And if it's an infant, then we say baby Doe. There are right now in the United States almost 15,000 unidentified victims who are John Doe or Jane Doe or baby Doe. So I'd like to give a shout out to the Doe Network Organization. It's um, an international center for the unidentified and missing persons. And if you have someone who is missing, I would encourage you to check this site because maybe we can we can give the names back to these to these victims. Also, um, law enforcement has a database that's open to the general public. It's called Name Us. Mm -hmm. Name without the E, so N-A-M and then us, U-S. It's used by law enforcement and medical examiners, coroners, but also family members of people who have lost someone who's gone missing. There's all kinds of information that you can find about John Doe's and Jane Doe's and baby Doe's. Let's, let's give them their names back. That's amazing. We will put the links to those in the show notes. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Dr. Thank Nick. You. It's my honor. Thank you so much for asking me. Wow, that was so amazing. We always have great conversations with Dr. Nick. I think it's so essential that people listen to the potential for the children to be victims if they advertise their children's names. There was even a Dexter, actually, about the names being on the back of the car. Oh, I don't remember that. I remember once my daughter became friends on social media with someone else's friend you know, a friend of a friend. And I noticed him when he started calling her beautiful. Mm. I sent him a DM asking him who he was and why he was calling a 14-year-old beautiful. He sent me this ridiculously long message, like the equivalent of a couple pages. Guilty. Yep. It was clearly a case of protesting too much. And he was likely trying to groom her. Mm. So people definitely pay attention to social media. Yeah, both Online and offline as well, as we talked to Dr. Nick about clothing and backpacks that have names on them or just being very open about who your children are. Absolutely. And now it's time for Names in the News. <laughs> Definitely in the news are Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, whom we know are divorcing. Mm -hmm. They were very private about their children's names. However, they did did come out in the court documents. Their most recent baby girl, born July of 2022, is named Delphine, Ooh. a beautiful French name, meaning from the Greek city of Delphi. Her older sister is Willa, and I don't know, I'm not as much a fan of Willa. It reminds me of Wilma, like <laughs> Wilma Flintstone. Um, I like Willa. I actually think it's pretty. It's kind of like Willow, which I think is probably my favorite nature name. Okay. I like Willow better. Um, let's see here. Singer-songwriter Brian McKnight 
got some heavy backlash after he revealed that he legally changed his name to become a senior to his newborn son. The 54-year-old dad changed his name to Brian Kainoa Makoa McKnight to become senior to the nine-month-old he had with wife Leilani Mendoza. The problem is he was already senior to his oldest son, Brian McKnight Jr. Technically, if all names are not the same, you're not a junior. The online communities felt he was ignoring his previous son. Jen, what do you think? Oh, that is an interesting conundrum. I'm really surprised that he changed his name to match his youngest son. But I mean, he's still Brian McKnight. It just makes the first son not a junior anymore. Which, if you think about it, we say don't name children after yourself. So he named two children after himself. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, those are beautiful names. They are Hawaiian Polynesian, Kainoa and Makoa. Mm -hmm. And judging by Leilani's first name, maybe she's got some Polynesian background. So he probably wanted to reflect that. But I think changing his own name went a little too far. That's going to cause confusion. It is going to cause confusion. It's like George Foreman naming all his children George. I know. (laughs) Um, Okay. Letters from our listeners. I'll go first. Okay. Hey, wavy hand. I am 36 (laughs) weeks and I need your help with a name. My husband and I both love the name Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E-E, for our baby girl due November 1st. The only catch is my hubby's last name is Brown. That would make her Charlie Brown. We have another name picked out as possible first or middle name, and that's Ember, E-M-B-E-R. I think Charlie Ember Brown is adorable, but I don't want to answer questions my whole life about the cartoon. And I don't want her to have to deal with explaining that repeatedly either. My husband is of the opinion that thoughts and feelings of others shouldn't matter, and if we both love it, go with it. He also thinks kids born in 2023 or 2024 will not know or remember that show at all. Do you think a long enough time has passed that people of her generation even know Charlie Brown was? What would you do? My other option is Ember Charlie Brown, but I just wanted some confirmation before I caved to the fear of criticism of others. Thanks for any unbiased feedback, Lisa T. Well, Lisa, here's an issue, and that is even though you two love the name Charlie Brown, she might hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like naming your baby Snoopy. <laughs> In fact, I just bought a greeting card with Charlie Brown on it for my stepdaughter, and it's not going away. So anyway, it will definitely cause problems for your daughter. Why do it? You could, however, go with Charlize, C-H-A-R-L-I-Z-E, mm-hmm. and call her Charlie. That's the most I would recommend. In fact, I love the sound of Ember Charlize. Jen, what do you think? Well, since Lisa was due fairly soon, I already sent her my opinion. Whoa. And that 
is that Ember is definitely a gorgeous name, and I would definitely leave Charlie for the middle name, as it won't do as much damage that way. I agree that Peanuts characters are still relevant in pop culture today, as you can see by everything around Halloween through Christmas. Mm -hmm. There are still many things, like you said, greeting cards as well as characters, ornaments, it's still in our pop culture consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I think, and, and it will stick around. It's, they're beloved characters that are almost timeless. And just think of the Charlie Brown Christmas specials on every year, multiple times. Yep. So I would not go with Charlie Brown brown even in this era and i know that we always say if you love it go with it and um but you do also have to think of the name from the perspective of the child and how they will live with it and i think that could garner a lot of teasing lisa will you write us back and let us know what you named your baby girl i would love to know yes we are dying to find out and good luck with the birth and here's letter number two, Mel. Hi, we have a beautiful daughter named Reese in which people always compliment her on her first name, being that it's still a bit uncommon as still has some spunk to it. We are about to have another girl and I heard a name a while back that I can't find on any website or baby book and that is Aniston, A-N-N-I-S-T-O-N. I think it is such a pretty name, but will she always be associated with Jennifer Aniston? And since we already have Reese, which of course is another famous actress, does naming our daughter Aniston sound like we name our kids after popular actresses? Just trying to avoid the, oh, you must like Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, you know, remarks. Thanks, Autumn W. Well, interestingly, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston are close friends. However, mm. I don't see any problem having babies named Reese and Aniston. Aniston has a certain flow to it, but watch out. It could become popular. It has the T-O-N sound, which has been popular for years. Yeah, well, Aniston's been in our database for a long, long time. And if you're writing us, then you should have looked it up on our site because it's there. Although it does say meaning unknown. It could be Annie's town mm -hmm. or Andrew's town, the etymology of it. Um, but Jennifer Aniston's name was made up, kind of like our surname. Her original surname was Anastasakis. So she changed it to have a stage name. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But when I hear Reese and Aniston, of course, I go immediately to celebrity names. I'm not sure that's a bad connotation. I think people will still identify it with Jennifer Aniston, at least kind of from our era. I'm not sure about your children's era, but who knows? The problem with naming your child a celebrity name is what if they do something really, really terrible? You know, what if you named your child Timberlake, for example? <laughs> and that's not aging too well lately. Justin's on the outs. Anyway, so yeah, what... You can't control what that celebrity is going to do. 
It was like I was watching Seinfeld, old Seinfelds, and they were somebody had suggested OJ as a baby name, and I was like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> this did not age well. <laughs> so yeah, you don't know what's going to happen with it. That's the only caveat I would have to Aniston. Yeah. If you love it, go for it. <laughs> exactly. I have no problem with those two. Thanks for tuning in, and make sure you join us on our Facebook group where you will get to chat with me and Mal and discuss this or other episodes and just names in general. We have a lot of fun in that group, so go to Facebook and search for Baby Names Podcast. We also have a very fun TikTok channel at babynames.com with a D-O-T spelled out. All right, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think of this episode. Bye, Mal. Bye, Jen. We love you all.